Welcome to our program today. I think you're really going to enjoy the topic that we have in mind. We've been looking at the idea of current events in the light of Bible prophecy, and the Bible's prophecies are so amazing. Remember the Bible written thousands of years ago, still up to date. And so today I want to talk about symbols and, and what they mean. And actually ask the question, do symbols have meanings? And for sure they do. Matter of fact, as you look at the screen, you probably see a, a whole variety of symbols that you know. And the minute you see them, you, you know what the, the message is. And we want to examine some of those symbols. Some of the most famous symbols in all the world actually occur in sports, like the Olympic rings. The minute someone sees those colors and those rings, they know we're talking about the Olympic Games or the New York Yankees baseball helmet or the Kansas City Chiefs football helmet. Well, I'm a Chiefs fan, and so that's why I put that one up there. But you see, fans rally around the symbol, whether it's the name of their team or the symbol of the team, they really rally around that. And likewise, in the church, there are some symbols. But remember that the symbol is not the real thing. But believe me when I say the symbols are really important. For example, one symbol that we find in Scripture is concerning the bread, how it represents the body of Christ. Jesus Christ himself explained this symbol in Luke chapter 22. Listen as I read this verse. And Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do also in remembrance of me. Now, when he took that bread and he broke it, he certainly wasn't breaking his own body. I'm not implying at all that that bread is really the body of Christ. There are some who teach that, that the, the bread changes into the body of Christ. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not the, the meaning of the scripture. But it, it is an important symbol. And so Christ instructed the disciples in the early church was, was very involved in several symbols and the bread representing the body of Christ and how it was broken on the cross for our sins was one of those symbols. And another symbol is the cup, the wine. Again, from Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. And so he said that the bread represented his body. The cup, the wine, represented the blood of Christ. And he told us these are symbols that are important because you see, and when we do a communion service, when we break bread and when we drink the cup, we're reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, but we're certainly not crucifying Jesus again. Another very interesting symbol for the church was the head covering. The instruction on the head covering is actually found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7. It's a very misunderstood symbol but a very important one. Matter of fact, I go to a place where the Christians, when we gather together, the women practice the head covering. What does it mean? Well, the head covering talks about the glory of God. It talks about the headship of Christ. It's not the superiority of men or the inferiority of, of women, not at all. When you read the context and when you read what is going on, it's a beautiful symbol. It's a unique ministry for the women. Listen as I read the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 and 10. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and the glory of God. See, he's the image of God. He's not God. He's the image of God, the symbol of God. But the woman is the symbol, the glory of the man. For this cause ought the woman to have covering on her head because of the angels. And so it talks about how that this symbol goes far beyond just the moment. Matter of fact, I believe that Satan himself rebelled against the, the headship of God. 
in the glory of God. He wanted some glory for himself. He wanted to be equal with God. And so that's why it's such a, a lesson to angels. And so here are some important symbols. Another one that I think of in terms of the church is baptism. You see, baptism, let me reassure you that baptism does not save. The Bible indicates that, that baptism is a symbol. Listen to these verses in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with Christ by baptism into death, that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, that's going down into the water, we shall also be taken up in the likeness of his resurrection. And so it's not for salvation. It's a picture. Matter of fact, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, listen to verse 21. The figure, the like figure unto which even baptism doth now also save, not the putting away of sins or of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. He assures us that, that baptism is a figure, it's a symbol. Sometimes I put it this way. See this ring? This ring doesn't make me married because I know people that are married that have no ring. And I know people that, that are single and they have a ring. But this ring is a symbol that I have a wife, that I am married. And so these are symbols that remind us of the real thing. You see, the Bible doesn't say that any of these symbols are for salvation. None of them will save. Taking communion doesn't save you. Wearing a covering doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't save you. The only thing that saves you is the real thing, and that's Jesus Christ. I just want to show you how important symbols are in the teaching of the New Testament. I have a point for making uh, that because, you see, we're watching symbols change in their meaning, and we're watching some symbols being used in a very ungodly fashion. There are some symbols even for the Jews and for Israel, and some of these, are, I think, are very interesting, and we'll just mention a few of them, but, but one of them is the Star of David. Matter of fact, often it's a, one of the pieces of jewelry that people really enjoy. And I think it's a, a great representation because you see it's composed of two triangles. Here's the triangle of, of God pointing down to man and bringing Christ and salvation. And here is man reaching up to God to receive the gift of salvation. And so the Star of David is what it's called, the representation of the Messiah coming. And actually it was a shape that was used for, for some of David's uh, armies. It was called the shield of David before it was ever called the star of David. What a beautiful symbol it is. Or how about the symbol of the breastplate? The, the breastplate on the high priest, it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was placed over the chest, over the heart of the high priest, showing that, that they were close to the heart of God and close to the heart of the high priest. Their equality before God is its placement there on, on the, the breastplate of the priest. Or another one that I like is the one that's called grafted in. And you'll see a symbol of a, a menorah, a, a Jewish symbol. You'll see the, the shield of David or the star of David. And then you see the, the fish that represents the church. And so sometimes this is used as a symbol about the joining together, the Jews and the Gentiles in the Messiah. Listen to this scripture in Romans chapter 11, verse 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, those would be the Jewish people, thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. And so it talks about being grafted in. 
to the favor of God in terms of these. These are, these are symbols. They're wonderful things. But notice this, that we're not to worship the symbol, but we're to use them to direct us to God. That's so important because I'm going to show you that the Antichrist doesn't just use a symbol. He begs the symbol to be worshipped and idolized. Now, another aspect of symbols are some that I think are patriotic. They're good symbols, patriotic symbols. But recently, this summer, we, we had a very unusual situation. And so I'd like for us to, to look and to study the video presentation of Ted Cruz as he talked to a committee in Congress concerning symbols and what's taking place to symbols in our country, in our society. Director Ray, I'm deeply concerned that the FBI and the Department of Justice have become thoroughly politicized. I think this is a problem that began during the Obama administration. I think it metastasized with career officials during the Trump administration, and I think it continues and is even worse today under the Biden administration. I don't believe you personally reflect that politicization, but I think you've been unwilling to root it out and unwilling to hold people accountable for the politicization. I hear regularly from FBI agents and from professionals at the Department of Justice who are dismayed that our law enforcement has been weaponized and politicized rather than remaining apolitical as it has been for the history of our country. Yesterday, it was reported that Project Veritas had obtained a copy of an FBI training material, which listed various symbols and themes which in the FBI's estimation were indicative of, quote, militia violent extremism. Now, these symbols weren't things like the Ku Klux Klan or the Nazi Party, which naturally would be symbols of that. But instead, they included, rather astonishingly, patriotic symbols of our nation and our history. Included on this list is the Betsy Ross flag. Now, that's fairly remarkable that the Betsy Ross flag in the FBI's indication is indicative of, violent, of militia violent extremism, because among other people who have been publicly alongside the Betsy Ross flag, we have President Barack Obama, who was sworn in directly underneath two Betsy Ross flags. But it's not just President Obama. We also have President Biden, who was sworn in under Betsy Ross flags. It's not just the Betsy Ross flag. Also on this list is the Gadsden flag as a symbol of violent extremism. Now, the state of Virginia has a license plate for the Gadsden flag, as do many other states. I think people would be astonished to find that having that license plate, the FBI indicates that you're a violent extremist. Also included on this is a text that I was particularly struck, is the Gonzales battle flag. Come and take it. As indicative of being a violent extremist militia. Well, I will self-report right now that every day in the Senate I wear my boots that have the Gonzales battle flag on the back of them. Director Ray, what are y'all doing? This makes no sense. Do you, do you agree with this FBI guidance? that the Betsy Ross flag and the Gadsden flag and the Gonzalez battle flag are signs of militia violent extremism? Well, Senator, I, I'm not familiar with the particular document you have behind you, uh, and I'm not in the practice of trying to comment on documents that I haven't uh, recognized, but I will tell you that when we put out intelligence products, including ones that reference symbols, which we do across a wide variety of contexts, we usually uh, make great pains take great pains to put uh, caveats and warnings in the document that make clear 
that a symbol alone is not considered evidence of violent extremism. Uh, and it's well, but Director Ray, you don't gone. include things like Antifa. You don't include things like Black Lives Matter. Instead, you identify patriotic Americans as suspects. And I would note there's a pattern of this. Now, you see why I'm saying that symbols are a big thing. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, companies that have symbols as part of their logo and their advertising, wow, they, they pay millions of dollars to make sure that you're loyal to the symbol. It might be the golden arches. It, it might be uh, some other symbol that's, that's well known. And so the minute you see those, you know immediately what product it is. That's how it is in terms of patriotic symbols and other symbols, whether they're in the church or in Israel. These are important things because they represent something that's of value and something that's prized. What I want you to see is that we're seeing a, a change, not only in terms of, of what a symbol means, but how it can be used. Think of the rainbow. God gave that as a token, as a symbol. It was that judgment was passed. Is that God promised not to destroy the earth by a flood again. And now we're seeing that, that rainbow used in a variety of ways that are, that are dishonoring to God, anti-God as a matter of fact. And here's a symbol. Look at this one. It's actually a woman on the beast. And this statue is in the Brussels uh, arena outside the Council of Ministers in Europe. Now the reason I, I want to point this out is because listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 17 verses 1 through 3. It says this, Come here, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great harlot that sits upon many waters. And it talks about how that she saw the woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And this woman was a, a woman of, of ill reputation. You see, Christ is a virgin bride, once those that are holy and pure. But the Antichrist and the devil and, and all that's going on to, to be subversive to God, instead of a, a virgin bride, they want a harlot, a whore. And so it's interesting because one of the symbols of the end time when Satan tries to take over the world, when the Antichrist comes to his power, he has a, a co-conspirator and it's a woman, a harlot, and she rides on a beast. I've got to tell you, I was shocked when I saw that, that the European Union, at the very beginning, used a woman riding a beast as one of its premier symbols. It was on its first stamp, begging to be worshipped. It was on its first coin. What a, what a symbol it is. And so here it is in Time Magazine. What a, a play and what a mockery against God's word that talked about an end time harlot, an end time religious organization that the Antichrist would use to assert authority over all the earth. And then to think that they use that symbol, a woman riding a beast out in front of their, their new UN building, it's very hard for me to, to say that didn't have some premeditation in it. Or how about this symbol? Because you see, outside the United Nations building in New York, here's a creature that looks like this. What a conglomeration of, of animals. Matter of fact, you won't find this one in any zoo. But it's interesting because Daniel chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, and also Revelation chapter 13, verse 2, listen to what this text says. It's interesting because I think we're watching it take place before our eyes. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. And it talks about the, the wings that he had. Wow, look at this. And they say that it represents peace. Whatever happened to the dove? 
There was a day when a dove represented peace. But now we have this strange looking animal that fits the very description of, of Revelation chapter 13 and Daniel chapter 7 when it talks about the, the power of, the, of Satan and the power of the, the worlds that are trying to wrestle the kingdom from God. But just recently we had a, another demonstration of something that was symbolic. And these are in the Commonwealth Games that took place in the summer of 2022. I, I have a whole handout that describes it. And it's an interesting uh, set of games. Matter of fact, it, it took place over, I think, a 10-day period. Uh, it had a, a large number of, of countries that were involved, 5,000 athletes, 280 uh, medal events were, were given. And the thing that was astonishing to me was while the symbol of the games was the bull, and even referred to as Baal, and I put over here an ancient picture of the bull and of Baal, and how that, that it began with a, a bull. You see, almost all the games, the Olympic games, for example, one year had the panda and, and other symbols, usually an animal, a penguin, I think, one year. But this was the bull. And, and here's this mechanical bull. And you're going to watch some of the opening ceremonies. You're going to see how they bow down and they worship the image. They actually bow down just like they're doing to Baal. My friend, this is what was recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21 through 28, when the prophet Elijah said, how far have you left God? Have you, have you left God for so long that, that you realize that what you're doing is mockery? And so here they are with a billion people watching, a billion people. And they said, unlike the Olympics, we can protest social things. And so it was indeed a protest. It was to present a message that's what a symbol does. It presents a message. I'm going to show you part of this opening ceremony. It'll begin with a simple bull, and then you'll see what takes place. Yes, the bull becoming deeply agitated now at the dance-off discordance before him. Not surprised. But the bull, once calm, is now injured again. Stella and our athlete dreamers call for a moment of reflection and of light as she and the bull call for a moment of reconciliation. All is stilled. Time for the shards to work their magic again. Stella and the dreamers use them to call for a moment of reflection and reconciliation. chain makers that we saw earlier and they lift away the bull's armor 
the symbol of his enslavement and they He will, by the way, have a permanent place in the centre of Birmingham when these games end. And he will become the symbol of this theatrical and inspiring open ceremony and these games. Let me tell you, as they looked at that 30-foot tall bull and they worshipped it, did you notice as they, they, they bowed down, a woman on the beast? Here's, here's a woman on, on a beast with people bowing down worshiping it you know not everybody was deceived some of those commentators said wow this is a, a great moment it'll become part of a legendary thing it will be found its, its place in, in the city but some said this they're now literally bowing down and worshiping Baal in front of our very eyes yeah people got the idea that indeed it was a symbol that that mocked the living God and made worship to an image let me read to you from Revelation chapter 13. It talks about the Antichrist. It says this, And the Antichrist had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. He caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and, and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. They worship the beast. And if you didn't worship the image of the beast in the coming day, you won't, you won't be able to live. Do, do you see the direction we're going? Do you see how we're being conditioned to do exactly what the Antichrist, what Satan wants? Here's what Romans says. I think it's so important to, to see, again, the scripture comments on this. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because they knew God, they glorified... Uh, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God... Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And then it talks about how that, that they begin to worship the creation, they begin to worship the idols more than the creator who is God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 is very clear that in a coming day, every knee will bow to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're watching people begin to do it now to images, and images that, that are, are there to replace God. I find it striking that not only does it speak of this in Revelation chapter 13 concerning the Antichrist and, and the false prophet, but as well, if we go to Jeremiah chapter 2, the prophet Jeremiah talked to Israel and said this, has a nation changed their gods, which are no gods, but my people have changed their glory from that which did not profit? Be astonished, O you heavens, at this, and be horrified. Be horribly afraid. Be you very desolate, saith the Lord. Another, he said, I, I just want to call to your attention that people who are worshiping gods that aren't really gods, think of all the religions of the world, they're not worshiping a real god. There's one god. It's Jehovah God. It's the God of the Bible. It's the God of the New Testament. It's Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And, and why are people that are, that are worshiping idols, golden images, stones and totem poles and, and rocks and, and beasts, why do they stay faithful to their idols while we turn from the living God? And so Jeremiah 
encouraged them. He encouraged them by saying, repent, change. You're, you're doing something wrong. Matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 3, it says, return you, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. No less than eight times in two chapters, he speaks of them as backsliding, and he begs them to come back to God. Or maybe we're at the place, and this is my fear, and this is why I bring this up to you today. Maybe we're like Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 16. Listen to this. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no more remedy. The wrath of God is the tribulation that's coming. My friend, before the tribulation can ever start, those of us that know Christ will be raptured into his presence, will be taken up into his presence for those that are saved, for those that are born again. My friend, I beg you to come to Christ today because I believe that God is insulted by worshiping the image of a beast as well as worshiping any image. And we've watched this take place. A billion people joined in. A billion people talked about how wonderful this is. Only a few caught on. This is Baal worship. And remember that God in 1 Kings chapter 18, he judged the people of Israel who worship Baal. He judged the prophets of Baal. And my friend, he's going to judge us. Because you see, worship only belongs to God himself. Satan wanted the worship of Jesus. Remember in the, we call it the temptation of the Lord Jesus. One of those temptations was for Jesus just to bow down and worship him. And if so, Satan would give him the, the, the kingdoms. My friend, Jesus said, no, it's wrong to worship anyone other than God himself. But we're watching that worship take place. An open mockery, really, of the word of God. My friend, I caution you today. Are we coming to a time when there's going to be no remedy, when there's no turning back, when there's, when there's no more time to, to repent of your sin and come to Christ? The wrath of God will come. You see, God allowed his wrath to fall on Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why that death on the cross was so horrible. That death on the cross of the Lord Jesus wasn't a symbol. That was the real thing. My sin was put on Jesus, and Jesus bore the weight and the penalty and the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin. My friend, turn to the Lord now. Now we have an opportunity for you to, to repent of your sin and to come back. Listen. Escape the wrath of a holy God. Join in the, the wonderful salvation provided by Jesus Christ. And so again today, I end our program by saying, are you ready? I think Christ is coming soon. I'm watching the whole world worship symbols, worship the images more than they worship the true God. And Romans 1 and other scriptures indicate that the time of God's patience is about to run out. The wrath of God, the tribulation is about to begin. But before it does, you have a chance to turn to Christ and to be re repent and come to Him as your Savior. Would you do that today? And for those of you that are not living properly, maybe you're in the, one of those in the backslidden condition that Jeremiah talked to. Today, come back to God. Repent of your sin and come back to the loving Father and to a Savior who loved you so much. My friend, respond today because I believe that Christ is coming soon. Are you ready if he were to come today? Thank you for joining me. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we come to you. And Father, we're watching the world worship symbols. Sometimes they're sports figures and sometimes they're, they're, they're images, mechanical images like we just saw. 
But Father, what a mockery it is to the living God who gave his son the real thing to die on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray today that there will be some who will admit that they're a sinner. Father, I pray there will be some that will acknowledge that when Christ died on the cross, he died for their sins. And Father, today I pray that there will be some that will accept him, receive him, believe in him. And today they will make secure their salvation. Thank you for all that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for warning us once again that we're living in the last days. We give you thanks and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.